It is truly a privilege for Heather and I to make this our home, and we love you guys, and we're getting to know more and more of you, and uh, we just pray God's blessings upon your lives. Um, it, it is a privilege to be a part of a church that cares about the fivefold giftings. Uh, you know, it's it's not always easy, and sometimes as evangelists, it is very easy to be an island because we're constantly traveling week in and week out, giving and giving and giving. But it's so nice when we come home that we can come here and be a part of a family and that you just treat us like just somebody else here. And uh, we just praise God for that. Uh, as And earlier this year, you helped celebrate 20-year milestone of being evangelists for 20 years. And, and we were truly honored and blessed by that. And we thank you for that as well as hitting our 40th uh, milestone of hosting our 40th soccer salvation camp. How many knows the enemy doesn't like when he sees milestones being made for the kingdom of God? How many knows that he doesn't like milestones like Wrightsville Assembly of God progressing like never before, expanding, building, reaching VBS, reaching children and their families, all these things that are happening. The enemy doesn't like that, but even though he may not like that, it doesn't mean we have to sit there and take whatever he's dishing out. And it is truly, after such an incredible year of celebrating milestones, uh, such as 20 years of when God called me 20 years ago in March of 1996 to step out, take the greatest step of faith I've ever taken, and, and to realize 20 years later, two and a half million miles later, 55 countries, 45 U.S. states, uh, having this opportunity, you know, just because we got to celebrate that didn't mean that the enemy was just going to go, oh, just take a year off. You know, I won't bother you. I won't challenge you. Oh, I know you hit your 40th soccer salvation camp or crusade around the world. So we'll just let you have a few without having any battles or anything. Well, that's not the case. And it has been the hardest and most challenging year that I can ever remember. Seriously, at least 18 of the 20 years, we've never had more of a, an attack against our finances. And yet we are busy as we've ever been. New opportunity, new places. Just this past week, I was on my 94th flight of the year. And that's a record. Uh, and so it's not a matter of not traveling and being busy. It's just that there is a, an attack against the finances, against so many churches and so many Christians, but we got to realize and recognize that God is our source. Amen. And uh, I know that he is going to provide. We're trying to plan our 41st soccer salvation camp. Um, it was funny because at the beginning of the year, we were talking to a country called Brazil and they wanted to have a soccer salvation camp this summer. And then we kind of forgot about a little, little event going on right now in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, called, I don't know, limp, 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 Olympics or something like that. So seeing how we couldn't have uh, been able to get a plane ticket to Brazil to do a host a camp, we're trying to set those up in some other countries, but we are literally uh, up against the wall to raise the 20000 that it takes each one that we do. But if God's able to raise 800000 before for the other 40 soccer salvation camps and crusades, how many knows he can do it again for the 41st? And so uh, and in that... Uh, we're buying Bibles, we're buying food, we're buying clothes, we're, we're buying soccer balls, but greater than all that, we're, we're, we're buying the opportunity for families and children that are completely unreached, that don't go to church. 
uh, will, after that week of camp and crusade, will have a church now that calls them home and will follow up and disciple them for the next year and will invest in their lives. And then the Bible that we place in their home that before they didn't have, see what they don't realize maybe at the time, but it is alive and powerful. It is a, it is a word that is ever reaching. And, and when that word goes into those homes, whether it's a Muslim home, a Buddhist home, a, a Catholic home, whatever it is, God is using that word as he's done all over the world. And we just thank God for this opportunity. And so please find out more about our ministry. Go to our website, ronroads.org. Uh, we also have a newsletter. We also count on monthly supporters and people to get involved in praying and supporting. So helping us do what we do around the world. And so thank you so very much. We appreciate that very much. And so I want you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, if you would, please. How many have your amens warmed up? I know that this is a, a church that is, gets in there and helps Pastor Aaron preach. And I know that this morning God wants to speak to us. I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't know where 2 Kings is, it's right after 1 Kings. Just want to help you out. Second Kings chapter four, verse one. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Father, I pray right now that you would speak directly into the hearts and minds of everyone in this room. God, as pastor, challenged us to pray for so many needs, Lord. It, it, it struck me at that moment, Lord. What a, what a powerful moment and a time to be reminded as a body of Christ that God knows exactly what we need today. 
just as this woman was facing the uncertainty of the hour and, and Lord, excruciating circumstances. God, I know that there are some here in this room that, Lord, we know their situation, but there are also the others that we do not know their situation. And because of that, there is a great responsibility that we have as the body of Christ today to not allow this to just be a spiritual exercise, but rather for this to be a time that we encounter the presence of Jesus Christ, that we encounter your spirit, because people will leave this place the same. They will leave depressed. They will leave overwhelmed. They will leave stressed out unless they come in contact with you and your word. And so right now we take authority over every strategy of the enemy and the flesh right now that would try to get in the way and try to hinder and we shut that strategy down right now in the name of Jesus and the people of God begin to call out to God right now and say God speak to us move us challenge us stir us may we come in contact with your power in the mighty name of Jesus we declare Lord that this will be a day that will go down in your history because of what you did in this room because man cannot do Lord what we need done here today Lord I cannot no one else can do what you can only do so Lord speak to us and touch those lives that need to be touched in the name of Jesus we thank you oh God for your anointing we thank you and praise you for what you're going to do in miracles in these lives this morning in Jesus name amen 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 thank you you may be seated recently I had a chance to be in Colorado. I did four events on one trip. And this, uh, I did this a couple of years ago. In fact, I did the first week was a youth camp. I did in uh, the western slopes of Colorado over by Delta, Colorado, not too far from Montrose, Colorado, if you've ever been in that area. Uh, and then the following week, I did family camp. And I'll, I'll never forget standing up there on this particular night of family camp. Family camp is a very big deal there on the western slopes. Uh, they, they have their largest crowd on Sunday night. People come from many churches around. There are pastors from all over Colorado and Utah. The district officials of the Rocky Mountain District are there and... It was really a powerful moment that God spoke to this evangelist to challenge our leadership and challenge our pastors to understand the responsibility that we have when we come together as the body of Christ. And I shared the illustration that I was was shown when I was a young evangelist and it impacted my life in a way that probably nothing else could. It was a Sunday morning I was speaking at this church and I got up and began to preach and it was a Sunday morning just like this and you can imagine. And as I was preaching in the middle of my message, it was as awkward as if Pastor Aaron stood up right now, walked up on the stage said, please give me the mic. He took the mic from me. As awkward as you can imagine that being right now, that's exactly what I had happen. The pastor came up 
without any idea what I said, what I did. I had no clue. Literally, the pastor came up. It wasn't past 12, by the way. It wasn't a time issue. I was just getting started, and all of a sudden, he just comes up. He says, please hand me the mic and just take a seat. And I, I, I can tell you, I am dying a thousand deaths. I thought getting called Rhonda to my graduation on high school night was bad. I, I mean, in which the entire crowd and my entire family hears that the next person to receive his diploma is Rhonda J. Rhodes, and the assistant principal didn't change it or correct it, so I'm coming up here, and I'm got, I got major issues at this point, you know. Ron or Rhonda, I don't know, and I just, I get up there and I get my uh, diploma and I am sweating, I am so embarrassed, I am so red, I get my picture taken and I begin to take an optimistic thing, uh, thinking that uh, maybe in this brand new gymnasium that our first, we're the first class to graduate, I began to say, well, maybe everyone has talked themselves out of hearing what they really heard. But at that moment, as I was stepping down the steps, my entire class at my high school graduation began to chant, Rhonda, Rhonda, Rhonda. Ten years went by and it was class reunion time. You're like, you did not go back. Please tell me you didn't go back. Well, God had been good. He worked on the inside, worked on the outside. He blessed me in some ways. And so, yeah, you bet I'm going back. And I went back and I got an award at my 10-year class reunion. Yep, that's right. I got an award. I couldn't get an award for anything during high school. But give me 10 years out of high school. Man, I go back and they gave me an award. They gave me the most changed award. That's right. The most changed award. Come on, last time they saw me, I was Rhonda. Now I'm Ron. That's a big change, you know. That was a joke. If you just woke up, I didn't used to be Rhonda. You know what they gave me as my award? No joke. I mean, they gave me a little, you know, a little piece of paper declaration as the most changed award. But the, the award was a handheld mirror. And on the back of it was my junior high yearbook picture. That's just bad. That's just wrong on any occasion, okay? That was just horrible. Uh, and you know, as, as painful and as, as challenging as that moment was, uh, there has been nothing like that moment. I'm standing there on that Sunday morning and I am just dying a thousand deaths. I'm like, I'm just starting out as an evangelist. This is not going to be good for my reputation that literally I do such a bad job. I mean, at least I wasn't like Paul, like killing kids in the middle of his message because he preached so long. Remember, Eutychus fell out the window. Paul killed him because he preached so long. You know, I didn't even do that. No, it was nothing like that. And I'm like sitting up there and I'm going, Lord, what did I say? Like, I mean, what heresy was I preaching? But it, it wasn't that at all. But it was the situation and he couldn't explain until afterwards. See, one week before, uh, there was a couple in the church that sat there just like the same situation, listening to their pastor preach. Couple never missed. They got up at, after service, just like you will in just a few moments. They went home. They ate a quick lunch, and they were sitting on the couch on a Sunday afternoon, just like some of you will do this afternoon. And then without any word or any warning, the wife gets up, goes into the bathroom, and blows her brains out. 
Can you imagine? The pastor is the local fireman chaplain. And so the pastor that just stood up there a few moments before preaching to the faces that your pastor does week in and week out. And as I'm standing up here right now, and how can you not take it as serious as it is when you realize the potential that there are people sitting here right now and you've thought about suicide. You've thought about an affair. You've thought about giving up on God. You've thought about walking out on your family. You've thought about walking out on God and you're sitting there. And so how could we that step in this pulpit do anything but what God wants us to do and to speak into your life so that you can have an experience that no matter how bad you're feeling when you walk in, it's going to change, not because of man, but because of the presence of God, so that when you walk out of these doors, you will know that you have met with God and something changed. That Sunday night, that pastor that stood there that morning preaching to that couple was that night washing that bathroom, cleaning up the body of that wife so that husband would never have to go into that bathroom and face that. And now one week later, this evangelist gets up having no idea that they just had a funeral on Friday. This entire church was devastated. This pastor was devastated. This family was devastated. And I get up and I began to preach and I began to start sharing a story about a 15-year-old young man that was going to commit suicide. And the pastor sensed where the story was going and he was freaking out because you know why? Because he's a shepherd and he wants to protect his flock. And you know who was sitting there? Is that husband that just buried his wife. That husband that one week before sat next to his wife having no clue that she was suicidal. And yet... This same man is sitting there that morning and this evangelist has no clue and I'm getting ready to bring up one of the most painful moments in this family's life, in this church's life and that's why the pastor came up and he stopped me. And if there's ever been a point in my life from that day forward, no matter how tired I was, I'll never forget the time I I was in the emergency room with pneumonia so sick double pneumonia but four hours later i had to get on an airplane and fly for two days to do a crusade in lusaka zambia i flew ten and a half hours from dallas to frankfurt germany i had a 10 hour layover got in a hotel just tried to get some rest so sick then flew another ten and a half hours from frankfurt to johannesburg and then Johannesburg into Lusaka. And I get there at 1.30 in the afternoon. And I just want to go to bed. And the crusade starts that night. And then we find out when I start unpacking that somebody in one of the airports stole my only pair of dress shoes. So now i got to go shopping for dress shoes in Lusaka, Zambia. When all I want to do is get in bed. And I was sick as I could be. But there's a moment and a time that you realize and recognize whether it's easy or whether it's everything is good. That when we step up here. We cannot give you anything that is watered down. We can't give you anything that's not for real and legit. And this is one of those moments that for this, imp- this incredible prophet of God here in 2 Kings, Elisha is standing in front of a, a woman that her husband has died and now all of their bills are laid out. And she cries out to Elisha. She 
says, what am I going to do? They're coming to take my boys. There's one thing I know. Don't get between a mama and her boys. You can have their daughters, but you can't have their boys. No, I'm just kidding. Now I'm getting some mamas. What do you have? What do you have in the house? That's what Elisha asked. And this morning, maybe you respond just in the same way. This woman was, she was wiped out. She had nothing. She had nothing to give. She had nothing left. The prophet of God is sitting there. What do you have? Anything. Do you have anything in your house? I've got nothing. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Are you at that place where you're so up against the wall and you got no more energy and you got no more creativity and you got no more money in the bank and all you got is creditors coming and I'm not just talking about with the actual money type. I'm talking about spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, whatever in your relationships. I'm talking about those times that it feels like the way that this woman responded to Elisha when she says, I got nothing Except a little oil. Can I tell you this morning, every one of us in this room, if you've got nothing else, you got a little oil. You got a little oil. You say, Ron, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the Holy Spirit is our oil. And the Holy Spirit does not leave because the balance in your checkbook says zero. Or negative. Holy Spirit doesn't leave because the doctor said it's cancer. The Holy Spirit does not leave because there's another attack. And there's one more day that you get up in that darkness, in that cloud of depression and suicidal thoughts and ready to give up. And Elisha says, okay, I got a plan. Go get you some jars. Get as many jars as you can. Can I tell you, church, if there's ever been a mandate and a challenge from the word of God, as you said in the house of God, I'm telling you, there is no way we will make it. There's no way we will cross the finish line unless we understand the importance that we have a responsibility. God will fill the jars, but you've got to have some jars for God to fill. And what I mean by that is you've got to clear out some space for God to do something in your life. Last night, history was made. I and my wife, we love the Olympics. We love it. I've been to Rio de Janeiro. And if you say it like the Portuguese, R's are H's. So I'm going to tell you how you say Rio in Brazil. It's Rio. Kind of takes all the I don't know, sexiness out of it or something. I don't know. Rio to Heo, hee-haw, you know, I don't know. Last night, history was made in the 10,000 meter race. I don't know if you saw, I had it on. Literally, 
history was made. The, un- the unthinkable happened. You know how history was made? Not because someone ran the race of their lifetime. Last night, history was made and all around the world... People from every country, every tribe, every race, they were cheering for one person in a race. You know why? It's because he got knocked down. He got knocked down. His name is Mo Farah. He's from Great Britain. And he had the unimaginable thing happen on the world stage of the Rio 2006 Olympics happen and they start this long distance race and the unthinkable happens. He gets knocked down, but it is wonderful when you have someone that understands that life and races are not about whether they're fair. It's not about whether everything lines up. It's not about everything. It it, it fits in in a nice place. He understood something that when he started that race, it will not be easy. There will be challenging moments, but there is one thing that he had in his mind. I will finish this race. And if I've ever challenged you through the Holy Spirit this morning, may you realize and recognize that your one goal every day that you wake up is I will finish this race I'm not giving up I'm not giving in no matter how many times I get knocked down no matter how many times the enemy comes in and stabs me in the back and comes against my finances and my physical body I will get up and I will finish this race and you know what only those that get back up have the chance to win only You know what happens? So many times we have all the excuses in the world. We have all the reasons in the world why life's not fair. So I'm just going to lay down and I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up on my walk with God. I'm going to give up on my marriage. I'm going to give up on my children. I'm going to give up on my calling because life wasn't fair. Well, I can assure you it wasn't fair when I was held down by a child pedophile when I was 10 years old and sexually molested. It wasn't fair when I had to pull the shotgun out of my mom's hand as a 15-year-old so she didn't blow her brains out in front of me. It wasn't fair when I held my wife after the fifth miscarriage. And all we want to do is to see the face of our babies. We want to know what they look like. We want to see them. We want to look at them. We want to see them take one breath. Just one time. No, it's not easy and it's not always fair. And no, not everything will line up. But that's not what's dependent upon whether you're going to survive or whether you're going to thrive or whether you're going to win. The one thing that you've got to know is the same thing that Mo Farrow understood last night. I didn't get to the Olympics to allow me falling to be my excuse. In other words, God didn't go to the cross so that in 2016, when life got tough, you had a reason to give up. He went to the cross so that when you had your chance to be in your Olympics, your destiny, your purpose, your plan, then when you got to that point, God didn't go to the cross so you have a reason to give up. He went to the cross so you had a reason to get back up and say, I'm going to run the race. I'm going to run a race. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to go get my jars. I'm going to go get my jars because God's going to fill them with something wonderful.
last night, my wife and I, as I was studying, I came into the bedroom last night. I said, baby, I just discovered something. This is horrible. Like, I mean, like my Bible school professors are probably going to cringe at this, but I never knew that there was a miracle feeding of a hundred men back in the Old Testament, way before the 5,000 were fed and the 4,000 were fed. I never knew what took place in Second Kings chapter 4. Oh, I read it, but it never hit me. Second Kings, same chapter we're in. Verse 42, a man came from Baal. And I'll let you say that name because I'm not even going to try it. I don't know how to shalishasha. I don't know. Bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat. Elisha said, how can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of God. You know what always happens after a miracle? There's always leftovers. I don't know if you like leftovers. I tend to like leftovers. Some things are better the next day. Some of you won't touch leftovers. It's the original serving, and that's it. It's no good. I don't know. But God likes leftovers. That lady went out and got as many jars as she could, and they began to fill them with oil. And you know what? The oil never stopped flowing until there was no more space to fill it. When I read that about this first feeding of a hundred people, can you imagine how big of a deal that was out of a few loaves of bread? And they were like, what? We can't put this down in front of a hundred hungry men. Yeah, you can. Because what's going to happen is God's going to do his magic. God's going to touch it. He's going to anoint it. You know what? There are some of you walked in here today and you're like, I got nothing. The creditors are coming. I can't do it emotionally. I can't do it physically. I can't do it with my marriage anymore. I can't do it with my children. I can't do it. I can't go back to my job tomorrow. I can't get back up tomorrow and do what I need to do as as the man of God in my house or the woman of God or the mother or the father or the child. And you feel like as this woman did. But I've got to tell you this morning that it's not about those that have been knocked down and fell down. No, I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I was I was around 15 or 16, I think. Maybe I was 17 and I was in the Royal Rangers, and that was a big deal to me. And by the way, I got my gold medal of achievement. Yes, sir. I was ready, ready for anything, ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship, live, etc. I do not know how etc. made it in there, but it made it in there. And I'm telling you, I have my uniform. My wife still begs me to put my uniform on now. I don't know what her motivation is, but... but I can't fit in that. I don't look good in uniform, okay? 
I, you know, there's just, you know, I, but I got that gold medal and I was at a Roll Ranger powwow and it was, it was, it was my Olympics. It was my Rio 2016 moment. This was my 10,000 meter moment. It was the mud run. I mean, it had rained and the course was just full of mud and it was going to be awesome and it was going to be dirty and it was going to be gross. And I, and I had prepared. That was one thing I did in school. I ran, I ran on track and man, I got out there and I just got out to the first and I was in the lead and I just took off and I was like motivated. And man, I was just could hear the crowd cheering, even though there was no crowd. And, and, and I knew my mom, I'm sure back at home was cheering me on, even though she didn't know I was running. And I just started running, but I was so far in front that there was a point in which you either go straight or you turn. I was so far in the lead, but there was nobody there to tell me which way to go and I went the wrong way and by the time somebody got my attention it was too late for me to kind of try to come back and try to turn and now the crest of the crowd is up with me and it was the worst of the mud and I got bogged down and I lost my shoe and I lost the race and I was bitter there's no moral to the story I just lost no there is I have never forgotten that race. Do you know what? I didn't finish. I knew I couldn't win. I was so mad. I never won anything. I just wanted to win. I was in the front. I was in the lead. So not right. I just wanted to win something. Because somebody fell down on their job. Something unfair happened. I didn't get my moment to cross the finish line first. And then at those moments, it just gets worse. I've never found that shoe. So now I'm hopping around camp with one shoe and one shoe off. Muddy. And so hurt. I mean, the rest of the powwow, there was no wow. And it was painful. You know what, though? Unfortunately, there's been times in my life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially that it feels like everything is against you and you've done everything right you've come to church and you've paid your tithes and you've given to missions and you've served in the church and yet when you get up there's not any joy and you're searching for something to break through and you just want something to go your way and you just want to cross the finish line one time you just want to get a trophy one time you just want to get a medal one time you just want somebody to take notice can i tell you today that god is looking down at you and all of heaven is standing at their feet because he understands something that life is not easy and it's not fair and there will be times that it feels like every 
everything is against you. It will even feel like sometimes the church is against you, your family's against you, your own spouse is against you. But I'm here to tell you, if you got God for you, then there is no one that can be against you. There is no strategy. There is no power of the enemy that can shut you down when you determine I may have fallen in the mud and I may have lost my shoe and I may have lost the race, but I am not giving up because the only thing that matters is I cross the finish line with Christ. That's what God wants to do. I want everybody to stand with me, if you would, please. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory.